Well, this morning, I want to continue to talk to you along the lines that we began talking about last week. Uh, we began talking about Advent. And uh, I defined for you last week what Advent is, and we are now into our second week of Advent. But uh, Advent just simply means an arrival or coming, especially one which is awaited. And that's exactly what we find when Jesus came the first time. There was a nation of people that was anxiously awaiting a Messiah. And as we talked about last week, they were waiting in hope. I believe that Psalm chapter 130, and guys, I can, I can run it from here with, uh, with this remote, but in Psalm 130, this, this is known as a psalm of ascent. That is, it was a song that the nation of Israel would sing when they were going up to the temple in Jerusalem to the house of worship. But I believe that it could also be called a psalm of advent because listen to the language of waiting in hope in this psalm. The psalmist said in verse 5, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word, I do hope. Is that where your hope is this morning? I know that's where my hope is today. My hope is in the word of the Lord. And then he goes on and he says, My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. And that was so good. He said, I think I'll say that one more time. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. And then he says in verse 7, O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption. Now I want you to notice that I highlighted and underlined those two words because that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk to you about abundant redemption. And then he finishes in verse 8 saying, And he shall, talking about the Messiah, Jesus, he shall redeem Israel from all his or from all their iniquities. Now last week I talked to you about two people who were waiting in hope. One of those was a guy by the name of Simeon, and the Bible tells us that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And then another of those that I introduced you to last week was a lady by the name of Anna. And it said that Anna, along with many others, were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And so this morning I want to talk to you about abundant redemption because if we could narrow down to just one thing as to why Jesus came, it would be that he came to redeem you and me. Now, I don't mind telling you that growing up, I had a, a really bad misunderstanding of what the word redemption or redeem meant. And the reason why I had a bad understanding of what the word redeem meant was because of these things <laughs> called SNH green stamps. Now, I'm looking over here at this group, and they're looking kind of puzzled, like, what in the world are S&H green stamps? Just think tickets at Chuck E. Cheese. 
That's what they are. You know, at Chuck E. Cheese, we, get all, we spend all this money on our kids to get all these coupons so that they can go and redeem those coupons. And that was the, really the whole thing behind SNH green stamps. You would always, I know we did, we always shopped at grocery stores that gave you SNH green stamps. Or we always bought gas at a gas station where you would also get some SNH green stamps. Now, I always thought it was child abuse because mom and dad would get thousands of these SNH green stamps and we would have to, us children would have to lick them <laughs> literally till we thought we were going to die and you would put them in these saver books. Now I don't know if you can see it or not but this one holds 1,200 stamps. <laughs> and we would go to the green stamp, not the green stamp store, but we would go to the Green Stamps Redemption Center and we would take all of these green stamps that we had licked and attached to these books and mother would trade them in for a toaster that would work about a week. <laughs> and, and so my understanding of redemption growing up was to trade for something you didn't want or for something that wasn't going to last very long. Now later I understood that the word redeem actually means to buy back or to purchase again or freedom by means of paying a price. But I'm absolutely convinced this morning that we do not fully understand or comprehend the abundance of our redemption. And so I want to try to help you this morning to understand the best gift that's ever been given to mankind, the gift of redemption, and what all is involved in our redemption. Now in order to do that, we're going to do a little Greek word study this morning. Now I'm not here to teach you Greek this morning because I don't know Greek well enough to teach Greek but I do believe for us to understand the abundance of our redemption we need to understand that there are four different Greek words in the New Testament that are translated in some shape form or fashion redeem redemption redeemed now in our English language we usually have just one word that we use that pretty much sums up the meaning of something. But that's not the case in the Greek language. Many times the Greek language will have many different words to show us the many different dimensions of the meaning of something. And that's the way it is when it comes to this word redemption. Now, as you know, the New Testament was primarily written in Greek. And so one of the words that the New Testament gives us to help us understand the abundance of our redemption is this word agorizo. And the word agorizo means the marketplace for slaves. You do remember that before you and I met Christ, 
that the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 6, 17 that once you and I, we were slaves of sin. And then he tells us in Romans 6, 20 that in those days when you were slaves of sin, you weren't concerned with doing what was right. You see, when Jesus came into this world, he came into a marketplace of slaves. Now, I hate to even use the word slaves this morning because of the atrocity that it represents, not only in our nation, but all over the world. And I believe in my heart this morning that it was the absolute worst atrocity ever against mankind. But there is a reason why the Holy Spirit chose to use this word when speaking about the abundance of our redemption. You see, when Jesus came into this world, he literally came into a marketplace of slaves. People who were slaves to sin. People who were waiting in hope for a redeemer. But what they were waiting for is a political redeemer, a political savior, somebody that could save and redeem them from the oppression and the rule of Rome. But Jesus knew we needed so much more than that, that we needed to be saved from ourselves and we needed to be saved from our sin. And so Jesus enters into this marketplace of slaves. Now in biblical times, if you would have gone into a slave market, you would have seen those who were purchasing or trading slaves treat them like this. They would, they would pull their mouths open wide so that they could see the condition of their teeth. They were encouraged to hit them, slap them, punch them, mock them, curse them in order to test their temperament. They were also encouraged to whip them to test their endurance. So why would the Holy Spirit use the word slaves when talking about the abundance of our redemption? He would use it because of what Jesus would do in Philippians chapter 2 where Paul said that though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God, but he made himself nothing. He took humble or took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. In other words, Jesus was beaten. Jesus was scourged. Jesus was mocked. Jesus was whipped. Jesus was disrobed. Many times the female slaves were forced to disrobe and Jesus would disrobe himself. He would enter into a marketplace of slaves, people. You and I, it's as if we were put on the auction block of sin by Satan. And we were being auctioned off to sin. And that was our condition before we met Jesus. But when Jesus came into this marketplace of slaves, he came into it with a purpose. And his purpose was to come into so that he might bring us out of which leads us to the next word in the Greek, and that is the word ex agorizo. Because whereas the word agorizo means the marketplace of slaves, ex agorizo means out of the marketplace. Because you see, Jesus entered the marketplace in order to redeem us 
out of the marketplace. The Bible says it like this in Galatians 3.13. Paul said that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Now, a beautiful example of this would be the Old Testament prophet Hosea. Because God speaks to the prophet Hosea. He says, Hosea, I want you to go into the slave market and I want you to buy a prostitute and I want you to make her your wife. Now, if you've read the story, you know that her name was Gomer. Don't read anything into that. Because when we think Gomer, the first thing we think of is Gomer Pyle. But she didn't look anything like Gomer Pyle, I can assure you. The Bible said that she was a very beautiful woman. And she wed Hosea and they had three children. And after having three children, she decided that she wanted to go back into an adulterous relationship. After all that Hosea had done for her to redeem her, to buy her out of the slave market, she chooses to go back into an adulterous affair and ends up back in prostitution. It was in that day a form of human trafficking. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to Hosea. And he said this to Hosea, the Lord said to me, go and get your wife again. Now I wonder how many men here this morning could do that. But he said, I want you to go and get your wife again. Bring her back to you and love her even though she loves adultery. For the Lord still loves Israel even though people have turned to other gods offering them choice gifts. And Hosea said, so I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and about five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. Now I want you to get a picture of this. She leaves him, goes back to adultery, ends up in prostitution, in human trafficking, and here's what happens to her. One man after another, when she's put on that auction block, one man would buy her, he would use her up. When he was done with her, he would bring her back to the marketplace, put her back on the auction block. Another man would buy her and use her up until finally she's come to that place in her life to where she's old and nobody wants her anymore. And she's up there on the auction block and nobody's bidding. But then all of a sudden, from the back of the crowd, you hear Hosea redeeming her back and buying her and taking her back home and loving her unconditionally as his wife. That's what Jesus has come to do. Because you see, he still loves us and he's still faithful to us even though we continue sometimes to worship our false gods and commit adultery and be unfaithful to God. God still loves us enough that he would send his son Jesus to redeem us and buy us back from our sin. Amen. But now in order for him to be able to buy us or to bring us out of the slave market, a price had to be paid for our redemption, which brings us to that third Greek word that gives us an understanding of the abundance of our redemption. And that's the Greek word latrosis, which means the full payment 
of a slave. Now get this, Jesus comes into the marketplace with the purpose of redeeming us out of the marketplace. But in order to get us out, a price has to be paid. And it is a high price that has been set. Here's what the Bible tells us in Ephesians 1 and 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 12, not with the blood of bulls and goats, but with his own blood, he entered into the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. I think Peter may have said it best in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 when he said you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Because some people would say, some people would say, well, big deal. There's other people who have died for the lives of others. But listen, there's only one price that could be paid for the redemption of mankind. And it was more than just the price of a life. It had to be the price of one whose blood was without spot and without blemish. And only Jesus, when John the Baptist saw him at his baptism, John looked at him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world there was only one price that it could have been paid and Jesus was the only one who met the standard he's the only one who lived a perfect sinless life and Titus tells us he gave himself for us that he might redeem us and then the writer of Revelation 5 9 says they sang a new song saying you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Jesus came into this slave market for the purpose of bringing us out. A price had to be paid and Jesus stepped up and said, I'll pay the price for their redemption. I think we ought to take a praise break right here and thank God for the price paid for our redemption. Hallelujah. But we're not finished yet. Remember, we're talking about the abundance of our redemption. And this last dimension of redemption is what a lot of people are still in the dark about. Because the last word that is used in Greek that helps us to understand this whole process of redemption is apolutrosis. And it just simply means this. It means the full payment of a slave's freedom in order that you might restore them back to their original position. You see, you didn't go into the slave market and redeem a slave just so they could become your slave. You went into the slave market to redeem a slave so that you could set that slave free. And so that that slave could be restored back to their original purpose and their original state. You remember what Paul said in Galatians? He said that Christ has redeemed us. 
He paid the price to release us from our sin, but he did more than that. He also paid the price to restore us. That's why Paul said in Galatians 4 and 7, therefore, you are no longer a slave, but you are a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ Jesus. I don't think some of you are getting excited enough about this this morning. You gotta see this now. Jesus comes into the slave market for the purpose of bringing us out of the slave market. He then steps up and says, I'm willing to pay the price of redemption to redeem them and set them free and then restore them back to their original position of sons and daughters of God. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. Every year I try, I try my best to read the Bible through every year. And I don't mind telling you the first few years that I had committed to read the Bible through, when I got to those places in Scripture where it said so-and-so begot, so-and-so begot, so-and-so begot, so-and-so begot, so I fudged a little bit. I mean, I started reading those things, so-and-so begot, so-and-so begot, so-and-so. I'm going to tell you, I begot tired. But then one day I was reading. You know, Matthew and Luke both give us the genealogy of Christ. Matthew begins with Adam and goes all the way up through Christ. Luke begins with Christ and works his way all the way back to Adam. And I was reading that one day about all the begots and I saw something that I had never seen before, and it was one of those shouting moments for me, if you understand what I'm saying. One of those moments where I saw something that I'd never seen the way that I had seen it here, and it blessed me. Because when you go and you watch, or when you go and you read Luke's genealogy of Christ, tracing it back to Adam, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to pick up with Jacob. said that he was the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, now understand, we're going backwards from Jesus to Adam. The son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Sarag, the son of Ru, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Selah, the, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, who was the son of Enoch, who was the son of Jared, who was the son of Mahaleel, who was the son of Canaan, who was the son of Enosh, who was the son of Seth, who was the son of Adam, who was the son of God. That blessed me because I realized that my original position is I am a son. You are a daughter. We are children of the most high God. Oh, somebody ought to get up on your feet right now and give God some praise in this house. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to God, glory to God. Hallelujah. He didn't just come into the slave market, he came in for the purpose of buying us out. 
He paid the price in order to set us free and restore us back into our original position as children of God. Look at your neighbor and tell him you're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. You're a child of God this morning. The abundance of our redemption. I'm going to ask everybody to stand with me. Everybody stand. <laughs> You will not get a better gift this Christmas than the gift of redemption. I just want you to imagine with me for a moment that in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned, and we know they both sinned, one was a sin of omission, the other a sin of commission. But let's just say that on that day, let's just say that Adam had not been present. Let's just say that he had been somewhere else on the other side of the garden and had no idea what had happened. And that God showed up and that God had this conversation with him. Adam, sorry to tell you this, but your bride, she sinned. And the consequences of sin is death. And perhaps Adam would have spoken up and said, but God, she's my wife, my bride. I love her. I don't want her to die. God would have said, well, I'm sorry because she sinned and the wages of sin is death. Now we know that God and Adam never had that conversation because Adam did sin. But I believe there was a conversation that did take place. You know, there's a lot of different names that have been given to Jesus. But one of the names that maybe we're not as familiar with is the one that Paul gives him in 1 Corinthians 15, 45, where it says that the first man, Adam, became a living person, but the last Adam, the second Adam, that is Christ, is a living or life-giving spirit. So I do believe that at some point this conversation took place. God the Father looked at his son and he said, Son, I'm sorry to tell you this, but your bride has sinned. And because of that, she will die because the consequences of sin is death. But Jesus looks back at the Father and says, But Father, I love my bride. I don't want her to die. And the father would have looked back and said, well, I'm sorry, son. That's the wages of sin is death, and there's nothing I can do about it. But then Jesus, I believe, may have looked back at the father and said, hey, dad, I can do something about it. I love my bride so much, I'll die for her. That's redemption. And if you're here this morning, in this room, listen to me. 
every person who has ever lived, every person who is alive today, and every person who will ever live, listen to me, have already been redeemed. There's nothing more that Jesus can do. He cannot come and die again. The price for our redemption has already been paid. The only difference between us and those who are still lost is that many of us here this morning, we've chosen to by faith receive the gift of redemption that Jesus offers us. But there are still some, maybe even a few in this room here this morning, you're still trying to work hard to earn this gift. And Christ has already done everything that needs to be done. That's why the Apostle Paul said, for it is by grace that you are saved. Through faith. Grace means God's already done the work for you. All you've got to do is have faith and believe it and receive his gift of redemption. Listen, he comes to right where you are while you're still in bondage to your sin. He wants to bring you out. He's already paid the price to set you free so that you could be restored back to your original state as a son or daughter of God. You'll just have to pardon me. I'm not one of those kinds of preachers that when it's time to give an altar invitation for salvation has everybody to close their head and bow their eyes. It takes courage to take that walk. Nothing to be ashamed about if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today or if you've drifted from Him and you want to come back to the Father this morning today. It's a wonderful day for you to do that, to experience the gift of redemption, the abundance of redemption in your life. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, maybe you're here with a friend, maybe you're here with a family member, you can look at them and say, will you come with me? Will you go with me? Well, pastor, aren't you afraid if you do it like that that maybe nobody will come? No, I'm not worried about that. All I can do is give the invitation. All I can do is give the opportunity. The Holy Spirit is the one who draws and I sense the Holy Spirit drawing some people today. Don't reject Him. Don't walk away from Him this morning. But if you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, step out from where you are. Come down here. I'll meet you down here. There's some others. We'll meet you down here this morning to pray with you. Let's sing a little bit of that song. I'm redeemed. And I am set free. Going to shake off these heavy chains. Wipe away every stain. I'm not, I love that line, I'm not who I used to be. No, 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 no. But I am redeemed. And as we sing this today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, maybe you're here with a spouse today who doesn't know the Lord. Maybe they want you to come with them. Bring them on this morning. Maybe it's your children. Bring your children this morning. What a great way to share the Christmas season by receiving the greatest gift ever given to mankind. Come on, let's worship and let's respond to the Holy Spirit. Haunted by ghosts that lived in my past Bound up 
Can you look at this prisoner and say to me, son, stop fighting the fight that's already been won. I've been redeemed. You said So I'll shake off these heavy chains, wipe away every stain. I'm not who I used to be. Oh, yes, I am. For all my life, I Let's hear this this morning. But when I hear you whisper, child, lift up your head. I remember, oh God, you're not done with me.
Come on, let's thank him for that redemption this morning. Ooh, yeah. The abundance of our redemption. Oh, how I great a gift. Oh, how great a price. Oh, how great a redemption. Ooh, yeah. Thank you, Jesus. As we prepare to dismiss this morning, I want you to know that these altars are open. If you need God to do anything in your life today, a healing in your body, a restoration in your marriage, financial breakthrough that you need a job, whatever it is, there will be some people here, I can promise you, there will be some people here that will pray with you before you go today. Father, we thank you this morning for the atmosphere in this house. We thank you that your presence is real in this place and manifest in this place. But God, you do not want to confine your presence to a building. You want us to be bearers of your presence everywhere we go. So Lord, as we walk out of this place today, may we take your presence into the restaurant. May we take your presence into our homes. May we take your presence into our places where we shop and places of business. May we take your presence to the schools. May we take your presence, Lord, to our jobs, wherever that may be, Lord. May we make you known all over the earth in the name of Jesus. Father, thank you for redeeming us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.